G'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sales Enablement Live. Uh, I'm dialing in straight from the Kruger Marketing Headquarters here in Sydney, and uh, I'm really excited about this one. We have a jam-packed uh, episode ahead of us, a bit of a different format to the last few weeks. So the last few weeks, uh, we did a bunch of deep dives. We spoke about strategic sales tech sourcing. We spoke about buyer content personalization. So if you're if you're interested in catching up on those episodes, uh, make sure to check out the sales of uh, the state of sales enablement podcast. But uh, I'm not going to lie to you; it's a, I've probably bitten off a bit more than I could chew. Um, it's, it's a whole lot of work to keep up those the frequency of those deep dives. And uh, moving forward, we will revert back to the Q and A format. So we'll answer your questions around sales enablement and uh, yeah, any pressing questions you might have around sales enablement. Um, but we'll also review the episodes that uh, we have published in their respective week on the State of Sales Enablement podcast. Uh, we'll play a few snippets and uh, we will give uh, you guys the opportunity to um, to comment and ask questions um, about whatever we were speaking about um, in those snippets. And I will also share my thoughts on that um, on a more meta level. And yeah, so um, that's the format moving forward. Really excited about it. And yeah, let's dive, dive right in. So uh, we have received a bunch of questions. I actually um, have not had a chance to look at them uh, before the session. So this is the raw feelings that you're getting today. And uh, the first question is from Penny. And Penny is asking, Hi, Felix. Uh, I'm just looking for a new sales enablement role. Uh, what should I look uh, out for to make sure the sales enablement flywheel is spinning in the right direction? Okay, here we have somebody who has actually uh, uh, followed my content for a bit because uh, everybody who knows me and has been following me for a while um, has come across the term that I, uh, that I frequently use in regards to sales enablement, uh, which is the concept of the flywheel. And uh, for everybody who doesn't understand or hasn't come across the concept of a flywheel before, uh, let's take a look at the definition in Google. In Google, it says a, a flywheel is a, a heavy revolving wheel in a machine, which is used to increase the machine's momentum and thereby provide a greater stability or a reserve of available power. So the, the concept of a flywheel is often applied in technology business businesses that are platform business. And uh, LinkedIn is a good example, uh, which is some something that uh, most pe most of you guys would be familiar with. Uh, LinkedIn is a platform business that means you have uh, you know supply and demand. So you have a supply of people uh, posting content, and then you have um, demand from people who are also on the platform consuming content. Yeah, and the more uh, the more people you have posting content, uh, the more people consume content the more uh, people actually sign up to consume more content um, the, that increases the audience size and that incentivizes more people to post content. Yeah, So that's that's an example of a flywheel in the context of a LinkedIn. So that means uh, that it's a essentially a self-accelerating mechanism um, the, um, that you see in, those, in, in that context that makes the respective platform more and more successful. Now, when I talk about the flywheel in a sales enablement um, uh, context, and what we're talking about here is a, a forward-moving flywheel or backward-moving flywheel. And let me explain what I mean by that. When we talk about the forward-moving flywheel, what we mean by that is um, a sales enabler 
uh, is in a role, yeah. And the sales enabler has a certain amount of capacity to think strategically, yeah. And all the research shows uh, that uh, the more strategic sales enablement is approached, uh, the more effective it is actually for the organization, yeah. So let's say that sales enabler has a little bit of headspace to think strategically. That little bit of headspace uh, leads to better planning and alignment of all the different departments uh, within the business, stakeholders are involved. Uh, and then uh, because of that strategic planning and that strategic thinking, suddenly sales enablement for that respective person becomes more strategic. Yeah, uh, Because it's more strategic, it becomes more effective. Yeah, So suddenly you s start seeing uh, the win rates increase, the deal sizes increase, whatever um, the, the objective for the sales enablement department is, you start seeing results. Yeah. That then typically results in sales enablers getting a seat on the table with senior executives. Yeah. And um, this is a, a concept or a topic that is being talked about a lot. You know, everybody's talking about how sales enablement deserves a seat on the table um, with senior executives. I agree, but only under the condition that uh, results are being generated. Yeah. So sales, sales enablers, just because they have sales enablement in the title, don't automatically deserve a seat on the table with senior executives. But really should earn it. But I, I digress. So, if those results are there, you get a seat on the table with senior executives. Uh, that also makes it more likely that you get more budget approved, yeah, for your sales enablement activity. That means uh, you are potentially able to hire additional resources for your sales enablement team, or you're able to engage external vendors that support you with the implementation of initiatives, and which then again frees your headspace up to be more strategic. You're more strategic, you generate better results, you get more buy-in from senior executives, you get more budget, you get more headspace, and so on. So you get the concept, yeah? So over time, you um, you actually improve the results and you get greater buy-in until you actually are able to focus, as a sales enablement leader, the majority of your work on um, defining the strategy and uh, really being able to uh, to benefit uh, from from um, that work that you've done up front, um, been able to source more resources and generate greater results. Yeah, so that's the flywheel in a positive sense um, that we talk about. A flywheel, but also works in a negative sense that it turns backwards. Yeah, so what I mean by that is if you're in a role that is highly reactive, only responds to ad hoc sales queries. That often means that uh, there's little to no headspace for strategic planning. You don't get the buy-in from other departments. Uh, the sales effectiveness uh, suffers, you know, uh, which then often leads uh, sales enablers to revert um, their focus of KPIs back to activity rather than results. Uh, you don't really get that face time with senior executives. You don't really get that approval uh, for more budgets which then makes it even more stretched and so on. So the, the flywheel really works in, in both ways. And uh, I personally have been in roles that, where I've experienced uh, the backwards motion and the forwards motion. Uh, luckily, uh, in, in one role that I've occupied, I've been able to uh, revert a backward motion back to a forward motion. And uh, yeah, this is really... This is really... It's really hard to do um, un unless you really switch jobs but uh, it is possible. Now, back to the question of uh, Penny. So she was asking, what should I look out for to make sure the sales enablement flywheel is spinning in the right direction? So there's a whole lot of factors that uh, play into that concept in ensuring that you set yourself up to, for success on that front. Uh, something that I would really look out for is the stakeholder environment. And 
uh, if your organization or the organizations that you're interviewing with, uh, like a lot of uh, companies uh, run you through seven interviews, which I definitely not approve of, but there's also an opportunity in that that you're able to meet more stakeholders face to face. So I would, um, if you have a chance, actually request that you talk to those st uh, key stakeholders that uh, are involved in or touch on the sales enablement function. So typically, that's, uh, you know, stakeholders like the sales ops leader, uh, the marketing leader, uh, possibly also the, the CRO. Um, and uh, what you do, uh, what, what you want to make sure of is that there's, um, there's generally buy-in for the sales enablement function um, or the um, buy-in into the idea of having sales enablement in the organization. So that's the first step. And um, it's also a, a way to assess what's been done in terms of enabling sales in the past in the first place. You know, So uh, the alarm bells should really go off if there's uh, a noticeable tension between uh, sales and marketing. And this, the marketing leader, for example, doesn't want to have anything to do with the sales department. Uh, that's, that's definitely uh, a difficult thing to resolve that might not be within the scope of your ability. Now, the second part that you can also make sure um, to set yourself up, up for success is um, to also assess the sales team itself, you know, and um, especially if you talk to the sales leader, um, it is really worthwhile asking what's what's been done in the past uh, to uh, enable the sales team. Uh, what's the what's the average duration of a tenure uh, of a salesperson at this company? Um, if there's uh, paths for development within the sales team or people uh, typically for senior roles get hired externally. Uh, so all of those things can inform you and uh, give you an idea and an insight into the uh, culture that you will be dealing with when interacting with a sales team. And considering that the sales team is your primary customer after the actual customers, uh, you really want to make sure that um, they are set up in a way that sets yourself up for success. Uh, the other consideration I would also mention is the industry that you're entering in general, you know, if you are starting to work with a startup that's uh, really not proven and uh, that is not fast growing yet, um, it's it's great that they invest in self enablement, but it might also be a tough job for you because if you uh, if the startup is operating in a very new uh, space that is not proven yet. Uh, it might be hard to generate the sales results and the effectiveness results uh, that uh, you are after. So entering a um, already growing organization in a, a space and a market that is already growing also sets you up for success on that front. So those are kind of the things that I would uh, generally uh, look out for. And uh, of course, as always, uh, the, the two key factors, according to research, that impact on your uh, job satisfaction, um, as always and uh, possibly also for your ability to source uh, more budget and to get, get greater buy-in across the organization is the culture in general and also the relationship with uh, your boss. And uh, yeah, those are the things I would recommend to anybody interviewing for any role look for, and um, which also means if you're looking for a sales enablement role. So thank you for that uh, question, Penny. Uh, the next question that uh, we have is from Lyndon. And uh, Lyndon is asking, hey, Felix, personal question. How did you get into sales enablement? All right, I, I'm not going to, going to uh, bore you with my life story, but uh, just to give you a bit of context, um, 
uh, about my career journey. So um, I initially started out working or uh, studying uh, marketing communications in uh, Germany. Uh, I'm originally from Berlin. And um, in that marketing communication course, what I did was um, it was a very practical course. And um, we are actually working on a lot of uh, real world um, projects and problems uh, for clients. So um, what this university that I went to did was they actually actively engaged uh, companies from the industry to uh, create briefs and work with the, um, the respective professor in, in the course on actually having students work on those projects. The companies obviously benefited from that because they uh, received lots of strategic uh, input uh, from students. Uh, but then uh, students like myself also uh, benefited from um, actually that real world experience. And it really taught me to uh, become really self-sufficient and uh, really be able to um, be really crafty in the way I solve problems uh, for clients. Yeah, And then uh, actually straight after I uh, went to university, I relocated to Australia um, from Germany and uh, had a um, my first job here as a um, project manager in a software company, in a SaaS company. So that was one of the first online video platforms um, around, actually in general, uh, one, of, um, one of the first ones in the world, um, but also one of the first ones in Australia. So they were a bit ahead of their time, but they um, actually suffered from that problem that they only had one major client, uh, which was Telstra uh, here in Australia, which is the equivalent to uh, AT&T in America, for example. And um, what I did there was actually a variety of roles beyond project management. So I was also involved in uh, business development, uh, in marketing, uh, and so on. And uh, from there, I actually moved into media, which was uh, a role that I stayed in within five years, which was my first uh, uh, sales enablement role. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar with the media landscape, um, back in the day, so that was actually in 2010, um, the media landscape was um, really divided into traditional media, which was uh, print, uh, you know, TV, radio, and uh, new media, as they called it, which was uh, online media. Yeah? And um, I had a role that was uh, specifically focused on new media and uh, specifically focused on a certain product category. And what I did was I essentially worked with a sales team on, um, on go-to-market strategies for specific products. I... Uh, created content uh, for for those salespeople or for those sales teams. I uh, accompanied pitches, uh, did custom interviews, um, did reporting, and also worked on the implementation of uh, delivery. Um, so a bit of sales ops um, or yeah, general product ops involved as well. So it was a really broad and um, uh, really varied role that I occupied. And uh, again, like um, that really forced me to be really creative and really, um, really become a generalist in the way I operated. And um, initially, as I alluded to earlier, um, I was really stretched for resource. I was actually in the negative flywheel space. Uh, you know, I was only responding to ad hoc requests and wasn't really able to think strategically. And that then changed uh, at some point once we had new leadership in place. Um, I was uh, able to allocate more time to strategic thinking and that completely uh, changed the dynamics. So I was able to uh, move from just reacting and uh, trusting on the market growing and growing my, my revenue uh, that way to actually uh, proactively influencing revenue growth and being really strategic about sales enablement. And that's really where we saw 
significant growth. So we had some products that we grew um, over the course of uh, two years, 500% in revenue. And that was really due to that strategic approach. Uh, then then after that, um, I ran a first business, which was uh, witch50.com, uh, which is a senior uh, digital news website for senior executives focused on the digital transformation space, where we work with uh, big brands like Adobe, Oracle, IBM, Cisco, and so on. And uh, in that role, I was uh, chief product officer, so I was responsible for a whole lot of things, including sales enablement for our own sales team, and um, also was able to work with clients and their sales and marketing teams on um, enabling their sales teams to uh, be more strategic about um, the way they engage senior executive audiences. And then I moved on to Kruger Marketing. Yeah, so that's essentially my uh, professional background for anybody who was wondering. Now, the next question is from Rakib, and Rakib asks, uh, Guten Tag, Felix. Uh, he noticed that I'm actually German. Guten Tag, Rakib. Ich hoffe, dir geht's gut. Uh, so Rakib uh, says, I'm struggling to generate internal buy-in and alignment in my organization. Uh, uh, I think part of uh, it is that I have imposter syndrome. What do you recommend uh, I do to engage department leaders that are uh, much more senior than I am? So this is a problem that a lot of sales enablers, I think, uh, deal with, especially if they are not uh, senior and haven't really operated on a senior level. Uh, what I see across clients that I'm dealing with uh, with my business a lot of times is that uh, companies tip, dip their toes into sales enablement by hiring uh, junior sales enablers, um, which doesn't really set them up for success, success necessarily if they don't really have deep experience in sales enablement itself or in dealing with senior executives. So there's a very steep learning curve that is required um, to make them successful. Um, and I certainly have dealt with that myself. You know, if um, the, one of the roles that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I, I wasn't in Australia for too long. Uh, English is my second language, in case you haven't noticed. And uh, the um, what you're dealing with then is, uh, you know, your new country. For the first time, I was working in a business that uh, was primarily Australian. So the first company that I worked for, um, the software company, had uh, people from all around the world, and um, really diverse, uh, really multicultural. So um, it wasn't too much of a uh, of a change for me, or um, yeah, it wasn't too uncomfortable for me. And then I moved into an Australian business, and it was extremely uncomfortable suddenly because I was the only person with an accent across the, the entire floor, and it was extremely Australian. So I certainly had imposter syndrome in those situations. And what was really helped me um, is a couple of things. So first of all, you really have to clarify yourself why you care about your role. Yeah, and um, even if you might not know everything and all the answers straight away because you don't have the experience. Uh, you really have to clarify your, for yourself um, why do you care about what you do, uh, doing what you do, yeah. And uh, that a lot of times puts you ahead of uh, people that have more experience, uh, but they don't really care about um, their job. You know, for them it's just a job. They they uh, treat it as a nine nine to five exercise. They clock out at five o'clock every day, and they don't really care. Um, whether they do that or something else, yeah, and um, really caring about what you do for a reason, and really setting your goals and clarifying yourself why you do what you do, um, can help massively with imposter syndrome. The second part, I guess, is that discrepancy between seniority, and you really have to uh, uh, define for yourself the boundaries of your role and uh, what you're an expert in, yeah, and 
you being specialized, um, again, makes you an expert in your respective area. And I think that also really helped me personally to uh, uh, define my role. Even if you are working a small team where your boss really gets involved and um, that can take the wind out of the sails of a lot of junior people as well, you know, when they feel like, okay, whenever I try and lead a conversation with a senior leader, my boss always jumps in and uh, positions myself as the, the, uh, um, the junior assistant. Uh, if you clearly define what your role is and what your responsibility is, you can overcome that dynamic. And um, in that situation, you would really, um, you know, clarify to yourself, okay, this is what I do. This is what I uh, know better than anybody else in the business. And that makes it much, much easier to think of yourself as an expert and to gain that confidence when you talk to more senior people. Because um, if they understand that you're specialized in a specific area, that you're the expert in that area, um, they they will respect you more. And um, it makes it easier to have a, a, a face-to-face conversation and a um, conversation on eye level with those people. Additionally, um, I would also always recommend to search for a mentor on that front um, that helps you to develop those skills to lead lead more senior conversations. And, you know, this is something that a lot of salespeople struggle in dealing with senior customers, but uh, I think also a lot of sales enablement uh, people that aren't that senior, that deal internally with more senior stakeholders. Uh, I think, you know, really knowing what those uh, stakeholders care about, uh, what their KPIs are, what their uh, current initiatives are, what their objectives are, that really helps you to lead a conversation more on eye level and also uh, gain that confidence to really um, uh, talk the same language as they do and to create that alignment that you really need to make sales enablement a success for you. So, Rakeep, good luck in your endeavors. I hope that was helpful. Now, um, we've already been going for 20 minutes and we've got another 10 minutes left. I want to uh, quickly take the opportunity to uh, touch on the episode that we had on the State of Sales Enablement podcast uh, this week with Phil Cleary, who is uh, the Senior Director of Sales Enablement for uh, Salesforce across the APEC region. So he's looking after um, Australia, uh, Singapore, and India, and um, all their training activity there. It was an awesome episode. So for anybody who hasn't listened to it uh, yet, I would uh, definitely recommend uh, you tuning in so you can find the state of self name and podcasts on all major podcast platforms including uh, apple podcasts and uh, spotify so they're the most uh, common uh, platforms that our listeners use uh, check it out there and i quickly want to play you a clip of um uh, that interview and um, then quickly um uh, comment on that um so without further ado, I will play that to you. Oh, we don't have sound. Why is that? It would not be a live stream without uh, technical issues. So, okay, we can't uh, play that right now, but um, I will just talk to it. So uh, one of the things that uh, Phil spoke about is... Um, uh, micro learning and uh, micro content as something that's really changed during the pandemic. And um, I think that um, is definitely true. And um, I've, I've seen this across so many organizations that I deal with, um, you know, through, through my network, but also through clients. Um, there's a massive shift towards uh, self paced learning um, and um, to uh, 
um, many different kinds of mediums that uh, people can use to learn in their own time. So it's not necessarily your desktop uh, learning platform that a lot of organizations use uh, these days, but there's also a more varied uh, media format. So it includes uh, podcasts, uh, short clips, uh, you know, that typical format that you would find in online courses these days, um, which is the um, the kind of short lessons that you can really consume while you wait on the on, for the bus, for example, um, or in your lunch break. So I think that's something that's uh, definitely worth considering if you haven't built out your um, your training uh, program uh, that way for your organization. Um, I think I just want to comment on one thing that I have seen a lot of organizations do that have been really successful on rolling that format out, and that is kind of setting the boundaries about the the pace of the learning. You know, self-paced learning is great, but uh, you really have to make sure that you still uh, keep your eye on the prize and um, really um, make sure that you um, set the boundaries uh, for certain milestones being achieved um, in your learning efforts. Yeah, and that at all as always uh, should be really driven by the sales managers. Um, so if you can set the boundaries for the team, let's say uh, the sales team or a certain sales team agrees, okay, over that period of time, we really want to make sure that we consume uh, X amount of content of uh, that is available uh, in, the, in this uh, training course. Uh, that is available and uh, the sales manager really makes an effort to coach um, the salespeople accordingly and really make sure that they have a certain knowledge level that they, that they can implement in their program. I think that is really uh, something that is or a thinking that is necessary for self-paced learning. You know, self-paced learning is not a silver bullet and you really have to make sure that um, you still provide some sort of guidance uh, from sales management in uh, making sure that you have success. Um, uh, so uh, Shivam Gupta uh, uh, commented, love that episode. Uh, thank you so much. Um, uh, love that you're listening to that episode. Um, the other uh, the other clip that I also want to uh, touch on was Phil's comments on uh, Salesforce uh, 360. Um, so there was a, he touched on the sales methodology that Salesforce uses. And uh, I think uh, once one thing that really struck me in that methodology was that at a starting point, uh, they used um, the market trends and market dynamics. And I think that is something that um, a lot of sales organizations uh, struggle with. And they really struggle to build that connection between um, the market dynamics, the problems that customers need to solve, and um, how the solution on offer really uh, tackles those issues. Yeah. So a lot of organizations that I see uh, start with the problem um but and then move on to the solution that they have on offer which is still better than just talking about features don't get me wrong but um i think the ultimate way to really uh, gain engagement especially from prospecting point of view is really to focus on the trends that you see in market and really make that connection back to the person that you're engaging and uh really say okay these are the market trends that we're seeing and uh, these are how we think rela uh, th those relate back to your organization. Uh, you might not be aware of those trends even, and uh, this is what you recommend you look out for if you have those issues right now or if you have those issues in future. Um, these are the solutions that we recommend uh, you consider. And um, here's our product, how our products uh, fit into that solution category. So this is essentially um, the, the best practice that I currently see in market and um, 
if you, as a sales enabler, haven't really dipped your toes into identifying those market trends, um, if you don't have any uh, departments internally that really support you in identifying those, um, first first stop, I would say, is really making sure to uh, touch base with your counterparts across um, marketing and product marketing and really make sure to um, check if they've done any research around that. If they haven't done that, um, it's really worthwhile diving deep into the uh, leading industry um, uh, publications and research pieces across the space that you're selling to and really identifying the market trends that are happening right now. And then talk to the sales team uh, and also ideally to your customers and customer interviews um, to identify um, how um, how um, they experience those market trends and um, how you can then relate your solution uh, back to those market trends and solve the customers um, in a better way. Yeah, we have heaps of questions more and that we could cover today, but uh, we are unfortunately running out of time. So thank you so much for everybody who's been tuning in live or who has uh, is listening to the podcast right now um, on the recording. Um, I had a blast as always. Um, I would also recommend, um, if you haven't subscribed already, to subscribe to the uh, State of Sales Enablement podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And um, also uh, to follow me if you want to uh, get more uh, content like this on LinkedIn. Uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. And I cannot wait to speak to you next time. I'll speak to you later. Bye-bye. And that was it for today's episode. If you would like to learn more about sales enablement, please make sure to subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement podcast, where we republish these kinds of live sessions, as well as interviews with the leading sales enablement experts from around the world. Thank you so much for joining today, and I'll speak to you soon.